A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Uh, we welcome Julie Bazzale. She's a researcher and lecturer in nutrition at AUT, the Auckland University of Technology, mum of two preschoolers and the author of this new book, The Nourished Baby. Her thesis focused on children's health and risk factors uh, for obesity. Uh, the new book is about uh, when and how to uh, introduce solids to a baby's diet and uh, gets involved in some other issues as well, including marketing by baby food manufacturers. Julie, I'm hoping you'll be happy to take some questions if they come in from listeners. Is that okay? Oh, I'm more than happy, Catherine. Good good morning and welcome. Good morning. Let's begin with your um, own research and uh, expertise academically uh, anyway. Uh, Just give us a a sense of, um, uh, as I said, that the thesis is very interesting, but also how your study has informed where you've got to with this book. Yes, well, my thesis was very much looking at uh, risk factors for childhood obesity. It was funded by the Heart Foundation. Um, and where it really informed this book for me was, I mean, obesity is so multifactorial and I think it's it's a topic that is quite scary for parents. Um, we know it's there. We know, you know, one in three children here in New Zealand are either overweight or obese. Um, and it can be quite daunting to know where to start and are you doing the right thing We're still learning, your child. aren't we? The, the link between genetics and uh, environment very much being explored. We think of Peter Gluckman's work um, uh, as well, uh, before babies are even born and, and, and mum's nutrition. It's, it's one of those things where you just think, oh no, not more incoming. <laughs> but the reality is that, that we're still learning. And your focus, I think, is very much on that, on those early uh, experiences, perhaps the first year as well, and, and where that is, um, is part of the picture, yeah? Very much so. Um, and in fact, one of the the more interesting or I guess unique findings from my thesis was that uh, like the traditional model of, you know, low physical activity uh, causes obesity is potentially not quite uh, the, the right way around. In fact, we actually saw um, sort of a low energy output there and for um, causes low physical activity you know, in low energy production uh, and can relate to obesity. And, of course, what drives our energy production down in the first place is the foods that we eat. Um, and so that was, I mean, it's an area that we need to explore a lot further. But, you know, what is so clear from a, a research perspective is the importance of what we call the first thousand days for a baby. So that's from conception uh, right right through to their, their first birthday. Um, and, you know, from a you know again a physiological point of view, it's only recently that we've seen the impact of um, things like bacteria in the gut uh, that can actually affect a baby's lifelong you know risk for obesity and type two diabetes, and that happens within the first year. There's that, and also uh, you talk about allergens as well, and we know this is another issue as we try to understand quite high uh, rates of allergies. 
uh, among New Zealand children and there's the whole talk of perhaps we've got too clean in our homes and, and, <laughs> and perhaps they need to eat dirt and, and be exposed to a few allergens. And is that where you're coming from also with with food? I mean, is there an element of keep it simple to some of this and, and that overwhelming excess of information sometimes coming at parents can get in the way of just doing simple things. Yeah, I I mean, I completely agree. And I think I've almost put that as a quote in my book is that, you know, the simple messaging around whole foods uh, for our babies, you know, that Mother Nature has actually created for us, <laughs> you know, she's done all the work, um, but it's just become so confusing and conflicting. And of course, you know, the, the billion dollar baby food industry certainly doesn't help in that regard either. But, um, you know, keep it simple. But I think you know, as parents, I mean, you know, I've got two preschoolers, so I know the fatigue. I live and breathe that. And it can be so hard when you're that tired and you just get this bombardment of messages to actually go, oh, OK, I'm doing the right thing just by keeping it really simple. Let's look at the really simple then. Let's just take situation <laughs> normal uh, and uh, the decision is when to begin and what to begin introducing as uh, solids and in what form. So let's start with situation normal before we look at some of the complexities you think are being foisted on parents somehow. Uh, talk us through that decision and when baby him or herself is, is, is what, what, what sort of indicators you're getting, what age and what sort of indicators you are getting that it might be time to introduce some solids to the diet. <laughs> yep, so that's sort of point number one of conflicting, <laughs> conflicting guidelines with that. I mean now our World Health Organization guidelines currently are to exclusively breastfeed and or formula feed until six months of age. Um, I hold their guidelines in fairly high esteem, um, being a researcher, and I, I think you know, I always guide parents to go as close to six months as possible because it just gives their baby's gut that extra time to mature. A baby's gut is, is actually immature, um, they are completely, and when they're in our womb, um, the gut and the um, gastrointestinal tract is completely sterile. So it's um, through the processes of birth, uh, feeding, and then starting solids that that bacteria actually gets laid down in the gut. So there's a, there's a long time. Um, and of course, they've got the development of all key enzymes involved in digestion, which doesn't just happen overnight. It, it takes a period of time. So the longer that parents can leave it close to that six-month mark, I just think it's going to give a little bit more room for that. And with breastfeeding, of course, it's just that, um, you know, the, the, the quality of the nutrition. Absolutely. Um, again, if it's possible, uh, possible through to six months. Um, of course, we're, and this is the next point we're going to get to, the transition, of course, which is when to begin introducing uh, while breast continues. But you think six months is a broadly a good guideline. Uh, with, with what kind of variables, by the way? So the variables is obviously not every single child around the world is going to be ready being on six months of age. You know, every child develops differently, both, um, you know, physically and emotionally. And I think that's what's hard for parents, particularly when you're a first-time parent, is to go, what am I actually looking for? You know, often it's suggested that, well, when babies start putting things into their mouth, and I would say that's one side. It's not the only sign. You know, babies are very tactile. Some as young as two months will be starting to put foods into their mouth. So, yep. That is one sign, but you, you definitely want to watch for the fact that they can actually physically hold themselves up. Now, again, this will be different for each baby. Um, I tend to find babies that um, have 
uh, unfortunately had a bit of reflux and they haven't spent as much time on the floor, understandably, because you don't want a a vomiting child, um, than a baby that hasn't had reflux, for example. So they haven't developed as much of the core muscles and the neck muscles to actually be able to hold themselves upright. I mean, you want babies to be able to feed themselves, you know, with some guidance, but they, they can't actually be... Um, propped up in order to be fed so that's definitely something you want to look for and uh, babies will do what's called a tongue exclusion reflex which is pretty much where they poke their tongue out uh, if food is put into their mouth and they're not ready which is actually them going hey mum and dad I'm just not ready (laughs) You can see that going on sometimes for quite a long time for different reasons but they will indicate that's one thing to indicate um, not liking, not trying, not tasting Will, will, will that happen? Let's get to the point and, and and what is it? I mean, what what is it typically that you might begin with? There's some old, um, you know, there's some old favourites for sure. But you know, first time you're beginning to to offer offer solids. Yeah. What might you expect? I mean, it's a new experience right from the start, right for baby. But but what might you expect, and what might indicate that you're on the right track and it's time? I mean, babies will be uh, like really, really interested in food uh, themselves if they're actually able to grab the food and put it into their mouth and sort of swirling it around and having a go at swallowing. You're on the money. This is baby led weaning. This is one of the sides of baby led weaning. Yes, I mean, well, I mean that sort of brings up, you know, the next conflict. Con- controversial issue <laughs> yep. number two, yep. um, which is, you know, do you do purees? Do you do baby led weaning? I mean, baby led weaning, it's it's not a new concept. It's become very in vogue recently. Specifically, um, what is it? So, by definition, it is only feeding your baby finger foods. So. I think that there's some huge positives to that with baby lead weaning because, you know, babies will eat with all of their senses. You know, they'll eat by touching, they'll eat by physically looking at the food, uh, they'll eat by smelling the food, more which they can do if they are able to actually hold the food themselves. The only flip side to that is, of course, that very strict definition of only finger foods only, you're going to struggle to get in what I call the core foods for your baby. So in my book, I I delve into that obviously in a lot more detail. But if you were to imagine like a baby food pyramid, um, the core foods that they they need to get the nutrients in are vegetables, foods that are high in iron because at six months of age, their iron stores completely drop off. That's actually the primary reason for introducing complementary foods is to get foods rich in iron in. Um, And of course, foods that are high in um, healthy dietary fat. Now, when you look at sources of those foods, for example, um, meat, spinach, uh, I would even go so far as to say things like fish and eggs, you're going to struggle to get that in in a very strict baby-led weaning finger food only style. Um, And that's where the purees have come from is that uh, you know, it provides a way to get in nutrients that potentially are a little bit more tricky. I mean, look at a green leafy vegetable. You're going to be hard-pressed to get a big spinach leaf into a baby that's six months of age. If you do, awesome. But in my experience, I mean, babies don't even have teeth at that age. So the benefit of a puree is that you can actually pack in those nutrients all the research that has been done on baby lead weaning versus puree, it's really clear. Do both. Get the best of both worlds. Okay, so with the puree, we are looking at some of our old uh, favourites again. And as you say, it's, 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 it's literally introduced introduced on a, uh, on a spoon. And just talk us through introducing this method or using this method as a way of beginning on solids. Well, you know, even with purees, babies can do it themselves. 
And whenever I talk to mums about this, I sort of see them kind of shrink back a little bit as they envisage all the mess. Learning to eat is messy. It's really messy. It's not Instagram. It's not beautiful kitchens and, um, you know, pristine babies all dressed in white. It is a really messy process. I mean, a child is not going to learn to ride a bike without falling off a few times and scraping their knee. Same with learning to eat. Babies are going to make a mess uh, and a lot of it. And I think um, that is the benefit of baby-led weaning is that it encourages parents to be a bit more confident about it. But you can absolutely do it with a puree as well. All children are going to grow up to learn how to use a spoon. <laughs> I can promise you that. Um, so they're buying expensive blenders when they're adults and uh, putting stuff back in and reverting to type. What, yep. what sort of foods are we talking uh, about what, for the um, for the puree, and 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 what would you leave out? We're talking about what you put in, but what would you what would you um, include? What would you leave out? Yep. So just all of those core foods. So you know, starting with a nice soft vegetable. I'm a, I'm a big fan of pumpkin because I think it's a beautiful, vibrant colour. Um, really nice and soft on a baby's gut. And um, it, as I said, you're just going to need a really, really good bib. So you can puree that up. And you can also put some nice, soft, steamed pieces of pumpkin beside your baby as well. They can choose. They can literally go, okay, I'm going to have a go at this puree. And I'm going to actually visibly see what pumpkin looks like while it's sitting on my high chair. Um, that's about as simple as you can possibly get. And, you know, mum can have a spoon as well. I find a double spoon approach quite effective. Baby has a spoon, can kind of flick it around everywhere if they need to, and then mum can sneak some in as well. With the, introducing solids um, and still breastfeeding, yes. how does it affect and, and what changes can you anticipate over time um, the feeding um, to the extent there's, there's feeding routines baby led or otherwise yep. how does the introduction of solid begin, solids begin to affect that? Well obviously you're introducing food and a larger amount of it so it is normal for breastfeeding to slowly decrease um, keeping in mind that breast milk and or formula only has very low levels of iron, trace amounts of iron. Uh, Babies are born with enough iron stores to last them through to six months of age. After that, it completely drops off. So you actually want to get in foods that are rich in iron and babies need complementary foods. Uh, Not over and above breast milk, but just keeping that in mind that breast milk is no longer providing that iron your baby needs. And again, that's just to give parents confidence that they're doing the right thing if those breastfeeds start to decrease a little bit. What are things to watch out for that might frighten you at first? And obviously, um, this is a change in feeding from what baby's been used to up till now. Um, so things like gagging or coughing or you know, what's normal and what's going to freak you out? Sure. Well, all babies can gag and all babies can choke, regardless of how you feed them. You know, that that action of swallowing. Um, Even some babies might gag on a puree because it's actually different to the swallowing um, that's involved with breastfeeding or formula feeding. Obviously, it's less common because the the puree is a lot softer, but they can. Um, I mean, I always encourage parents to be aware of the physical signs of both. Gagging is normal. It's classified as normal for a child while they're getting used to that. But do you know what? I've, I mean, I've got two boys, and although I knew it was normal, when my children gagged, I didn't go, oh, okay, it's normal, they're going to learn. I kind of freaked out a little bit. Um, it was my husband that was like, no, 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 they're fine, they're fine. Um, so I can't tell you what is, you know, what you're going to feel comfortable as, as a parent. I need to know that um, with the gagging process, children are learning to swallow. 
choking, of course, is what you really want to watch out for. And typically we say that choking is silent because, of course, the windpipe uh, is blocked. And that will be more common um, with more of the baby lead weaning style because, of course, babies are having foods that are more of a chokeable size. What of these issues of the allergenic foods and this... Um this is becoming a real issue because, as I said, we do have quite high rates of allergies uh, in New Zealand. And Hugely high. N- and now the debate is why and what do you do about it? Um, obviously, it's something you might be on alert for as you're beginning to introduce these new foods. Your view is what uh, that as with you know the, the cleanliness of our uh, sometimes of our homes, perhaps some of the immunities. Um, uh, require some exposure and, and, and if there is an allergy how dramatically is there going to present? How have you gone about researching and writing about this whole area? Sure, well you know one in ten children will now be be diagnosed with an allergy. That's not an intolerance, that's a full-blown autoimmune response um, and it is very debilitating. You know even my son's preschool is nut free and it just becomes so much tougher to actually put foods that are nut free into his lunchbox. Um, Because of this exponential rise there has been a lot of research conducted in this area and we are finding that genetics alone is not enough to account for the huge exponential rise that in fact the guidelines which up until last year used to be to withhold introducing allergenic foods particularly for those that were uh, at high risk is actually exacerbating the problem because it means that children are getting exposed to their allergens uh, without actually physically ingesting them, which is kick-firing their autoimmune response. So last year, uh, we actually had major guidelines. Uh, From where? The, the guidelines? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so it's our Australasian Society of Clinical Immunology and yeah. Allergy okay. literally changed the guidelines to introduce, alle- even for children at high risk, this this shows how much of a problem it is that for even at children who are at high risk, unless that allergy has been clinically diagnosed, you introduce the allergenic foods early. Now, of course, if there is a high, if you are you know have a child that's at high risk, you will do this with the support of an expert or a clinician, uh, and you know we advise you get tested first for those children that are at high risk. But that just shows you uh, how important it is to get these allergenic foods into our children. And when you look at the top allergenic foods, things like peanuts, fish, egg, they're all incredibly nutrient dense foods. We actually want our babies to be having those foods. So that advice can be accessed um, presumably um, on- online, right, for people who really want to read up Very on much this. so. I, I really encourage parents to look at uh, the Allergy New Zealand website. It is very good. It is very informative and actually steps you through this as well as providing links for more information uh, or, or where to get tested if, if you're concerned. Another of your, well, very much in your sites, is the whole marketing of foods for babies <laughs> at this age. How long have we got? <laughs> Well, not long, so <laughs> front load, as I like to say it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's something I'm incredibly passionate about because I have got so frustrated with the fact... I mean, I have mums, literally, who give me printouts and brochures that say 
you know, bought baby food is as nutritionally sound as what you make at home. And I just think that's, we know that's not possible, right? Food that's in a packet or a jar that can sit on a shelf for a long period of time can't possibly have the same level of nutrients than that is of fresh food. But, uh, you know, the baby food industry is very clever with that. It's a billion dollar industry. I actually conducted my own research for my book, The Nourished Baby, just so I could actually get a handle on what was what. So I I analysed every single baby food product here in New Zealand, Australia and the UK. I found 15% of all products available had added sugar. Now to me this was just a huge red flag that we literally have products that are marketed to for babies as being say from four months of age that have literally sugar added to this baby food. Um, I just think that's horrendous and you know what what chance do infants have if they're literally starting at four months of age with added sugar into their diet. It's not needed at all. I also found that f- over 50% of all baby food products contained fruit. Uh, now fruit of course is still extremely high in natural sugar. You know a banana's got 4.5 teaspoons of fructose. Um, that is very high and when you look at um, the core foods that our baby needs, you know babies don't have a huge amount of opportunity to get in their solid feeds uh, particularly in the first few months. So the minutes that you start overloading them with a lot of fructose, you're just not going to get them to develop their food preferences for vegetables when they're used to that much higher percentage of, of sugar. Thank you, Julie. Much appreciated. Dr Julie Bazzali, the book is uh, The Nourished Baby, a step-by-step guide to introducing solids. Uh, Dr Bazzali, as we said, is a researcher and lecturer in nutrition at AUT, the Auckland University of Technology. Bateman is the publisher of that book. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.